Hey, 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 this is Brian Johnson with Mid-City Vineyard Church. Mid-City Vineyard located in the heart of New Orleans, Louisiana. Currently, we worship on Saturday nights at 6 o'clock and would love to have you anytime you are uh, looking for a place and space to worship. You can check us out online, midcityvineyard.org, Facebook, Mid-City Vineyard Church, and of course on Instagram at Mid-City Vineyard. This past week, we started a new series entitled The Weird Words and the Odd Actions of Jesus of Nazareth. And we're going to take the next couple of weeks at just looking at some of the strangest things and uh, strangest uh, things Jesus said and did during his time on earth. And so this past week, we looked at uh, the passage where Jesus actually turns over tables in the temple and then curses a fig tree. We entitled it, What the Fig Tree. So let's head on over. Much peace to you. The weird words and the odd actions of Jesus of Nazareth. Because if you have ever read some of or any of the stories of Jesus, Jesus says and does some really weird things. He spits in the dirt and makes mud and rubs it in some dude's eyes to heal him of his blindness. He walks into the temple and he flips, flips tables over in the temple. He says things like, it's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to experience the kingdom of God. He does, he does and he says lots of weird things. Uh, one person uh, put uh, in a forum I was in, uh, Jesus heals people and then he says, now don't tell anybody. Weird. Like, why not? And so there are a number of things throughout the scripture, a number of places throughout the scripture where Jesus says really weird things and he does really strange things. And so if you have a particular odd thing, uh, that you have not understood before, I would invite you to send it to me, turn it in, write it on a piece of paper, say, is it possible that maybe we discuss this? And just maybe we will, if it, if it fits on the odd enough scale. Because these are the kinds of passages where when people, whether they are complete novices, beginners when it comes to reading the scripture, or even learned students of the scripture many times, there are certain passages and you just read and you read and you read and you read and you get there and you're like, that's really weird. I wonder what that means. And then we just keep reading. And I mean, I, I, I do that quite often. If, if uh, I come across a particular passage and I'm not in a study zone or a study mood, or I just don't care at the time, I just skip over it. Uh, and, but sometimes we never come back to those things and, and have really no idea what those things might mean. So tonight we're going to look at a particular passage in the book of Matthew. If you uh, have a Bible on your phone or if you have a, a paper Bible or if you would like one, there's someone that's stool back there. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 22 this evening. And so I'm going to actually have 22 verses. I'm going to read this passage and then we will begin to look at it. Matthew 21. It says, When... They neared Jerusalem, having arrived at Beth, uh, Bethphage on Mount Olive. 
Jesus sent two of his disciples with these instructions. He said, go over to the village across from us. And there you're going to find a donkey tethered with her colt. Now I want you to untie and bring the donkey and the colt to me. And if anyone says to you, uh, that's my donkey, what are you doing? You say, the master needs them. And they will send them with you. This is the full story of what was sketched earlier by the prophet. Tell Zion's daughter, look, your king is on his way, poised and ready and mounted on a donkey, a full of a pack animal. So the disciples went and did exactly what Jesus told them. They led the donkey and the colt out. They laid some of their clothes on them, and then Jesus mounted them. Nearly all of the people in the crowd began to throw their garments down on the road, giving him royal welcome as Jesus entered the city on the donkey. Others cut down branches and trees and threw them down as a welcome mat. Crowds went ahead, and they followed, and they began shouting, Hosanna to David's son, blessed is the one who comes in the name of God. And he made his entrance into Jerusalem. The whole city was shaken. Unnerved people were asking, what's going on here? Who is this? And the parade uh, crowd answered, this is the prophet Jesus of Nazareth. So Jesus went into the city. He went straight to the temple. He got off of his donkey. He went into the temple and he threw out everyone who had set up shop buying and selling. He kicked over their tables. He kicked over the tables of the loan sharks and the stalls of doves and merchants And he quoted this text, my house was designated to be a house of prayer, but you have made it a brigand slayer. Now, there was room for the blind and the crippled, and they came to Jesus and he healed them. And when the religious leaders saw it, they were outraged. And they said, what is this? What is going on here? Jesus, do you hear what the children here are saying? He said, yeah, I hear them. Haven't you read in God's word from the mouths of children and babies? I'm going to furnish this place, this temple with praise. And fed up, Jesus turned on his heel. He left the city for Bethany and he went and spent the night. Early the next morning, he was returning back to the city. He was hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree alongside the road, he approached it, anticipating a breakfast of figs. And when he got to the tree, there was nothing but fig leaves. And he said, no more figs from this tree ever. The fig tree withered on the spot like a dry stick. And the disciples saw it happen. They rubbed their eyes saying, did we, did we really see that? A leafy tree one minute and a dry stick the next. So, Lord, we welcome your presence here and and tonight in this place as we look at this particular scripture. Maybe, God, in some way, shape, or form, it might be different for every single one of us, but there is something to be unpacked for our own life here. Lord, we believe that the scripture is is relevant to us today, but this is a really weird story. So maybe you could, uh, Lord, just kind of show us in our mind's eye and in our hearts, our souls, our spirits, uh, uh, what is what is going on here, and, and what what is this? How, what does it mean for us? And so we open ourselves to you and to your presence here in this place. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. I think it would be helpful for a little bit of background, perhaps. So, Micah, the first uh, slide I have is the map here. And so I don't know if you you can see this all that well. Um, I can share this with with you later. 
uh, maybe on Facebook or something like that. But, but what happens here is Jesus is nearing the time of his resurrection. Matthew 21, we're coming uh, closer to the, the time, uh, not the, res- the crucifixion. We're coming close to the time of the crucifixion. And so Jesus is heading to the city of God. He is heading to Jerusalem. And he starts way up north in Capernaum. And you see the black, the black line there this is his pathway. And he's walking this. He's making his way down to Jerusalem. Now, up until this time, up to this time, Jesus has been making very radical statements. He's been working the countryside. He's been, he's been teaching. He's been talking to people about the kingdom of God, the reality of God, the way of God is available to you. Come get in on this. The way that you're headed is the wrong direction. Jesus has been saying crazy things like, hey, I know you hate the Romans and the Romans are oppressing you, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to love the Romans. I want you to love the very people that kill you and are oppressing you. I want you to pray for them. I want you to forgive them. He's saying things like, listen, you don't need to be people who worry. You don't have to worry about provision. You don't have to worry about where your next meal comes from. What I want you to do is I want you to be the kind of people that look to God, look to the king, look to the kingdom, put your faith and your trust in God. I want you, I want you to watch how I, how I live and act and move. And Jesus is healing people, forgiving people, inviting people to follow him. And so he makes his way down to Jerusalem. And at the very bottom, you see Jerusalem, Bethphage, and Bethany. All three of these cities are very, very close to each other. Just so you know, Jerusalem is right here, and the Mount of Olives is right here. Matter of fact, what happens is when you go to Israel uh, today, you can take these tours, but you can go up on the Mount of Olives where the olive trees still grow. And you can go up on the Mount of Olives, and when you're sitting on the Mount of Olives, you are looking over and into the city of Jerusalem. And from that place, you can actually see, today it's the Dome of the Rock, which is the, the Muslim mosque, but it's the, and there's the Temple Mount where the temple stood for all those years. Now, Mike, if you could place up here the temple. Okay, now here is a, a diagram of the temple. So this is what you can actually see... Uh, this here is called the Temple Mount. So the outer wall, all of that, all of that outer wall is considered the temple. And this is what it would have looked like in Jesus' day. The outer wall is considered the temple. Today, that's the Temple Mount. And within that Temple Mount is all the things that are happening. Now, here are a couple things you need to know in order to understand this story about the temple. In Jesus' day, in the people of Israel, the temple was the place where God resided. So if you wanted to meet with God, you would go to the temple. The temple is the place where the Jews believed heaven and earth actually met. This is how they understood the temple. The temple was the place where you would physically go to offer yourself to God, where you would go to offer your sacrifice to God. And in the temple, buying and selling was normal. Because what would happen is pilgrims would come from all over the nation of Israel. Oh, the, the map's gone. Don't put it back up. But they would come from all those different areas. And they wouldn't bring their animals with them because along the way, remember, everybody's walking. Along the way, the animal could have been maimed. The animal could have been harmed. And then the animal would be flawed. And it wouldn't make for a 
good sacrifice. So it was very normal and acceptable and okay that there would be merchants who would be selling doves, goats. They would be selling in the temple area. There would be others who would be buying. And they would come and they would make their sacrifices to God. Now, this area right here, to the left of the actual building, that would be the court of the Gentiles. Okay, so the whole thing would be considered the Temple Mount. You have uh, the, the outer walls or the colonnades. Uh, one is Herod's, where, you know, because Herod uh, the Great actually, uh, uh, or Herod Antipas actually ruled over this part of Jerusalem at this time. The court of the Gentiles would have been that large open space, and that is where this scene would have taken place. And then you go further into the building and you have uh, the outer courts, the inner courts, and then where only the priest could go to actually make the sacrifices. Now, there's one other very important note thing that, that we want to realize in order to more fully understand this particular story. So in 2 Samuel chapter 5, here's the story of what takes place at that time. And this is much shorter, but 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. It says, David, King David, was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned for 40 years. In Hebron, in Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah for 38 years. Now, the king and his men, David, they marched up to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem at the time. And the Jebusites said to David, this Jew, this Hebrew, he said, you will not get into the city. <laughs> Hebron says, matter of fact, I have so much confidence that you won't get into the city that even the blind and the lame could fight you off. David. They thought, David can't get in here. We are a city, Jerusalem is known, as a city on a hill. It's positioned on a hill. They can't get in here. Even the lame and the blind could keep David and his army out. We're not worried about this. Nevertheless, David did capture the fortress, which is the city of David. On that day, David said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites, you're going to have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. And that's why... They say the lame and blind will no longer be allowed to enter the palace. <laughs> David is quite offended by this. And so when he takes over and when he conquers and when he takes over Jerusalem in this area, he does not allow the lame and the blind to come in to the temple any longer. So what happens? Act one, Jesus comes in. He walks into the temple and he just seems to lose it. Now, people go back and forth. They're like, some people are like, see, this is this is this is what's happening. Jesus, you know, he gets he gets super angry and he becomes super violent. But I tried to explain this. I was talking to one of my boys the other day and I was like, had there ever been a time where you have pushed me and pushed me and pushed me and pushed me? To where I just stand up and I say, enough! Stop it! And maybe I throw a table. <laughs> now, am I, am I violent towards the child? No. 
Am I in a violent mood? No. Am I fed up? Yes. Jesus walks in and he looks at what's happening. But it's not just what's happening at this moment. He is fed up and he says, listen, my house, this house is supposed to be a house of prayer. But you have made it into a brigand's lair. Now, some translations translate this a den of thieves. But this is not about anybody stealing anything. Because the brigands were the religious revolutionaries. You have to, this is why we have to put ourselves in the story and in the time and, and begin to think through and understand what's actually, happen, what's actually happening here. What is going on is that there is a group of religious people who have turned the temple into their way and their method of conquering their enemies. They are waiting now. They are tying themselves. They are uniting themselves with the kingdoms of darkness, with the foreign powers. The chief priests run the temple. The chief priests report and work for Herod. Herod works for, he's a Jew, but he works for and reports to the Romans. And they all keep everything in beautiful order. The brigands are the ones, they're the revolutionaries who have figured out it is time for us to make Israel great again. Seriously, this is exactly what is happening. Listen closely. Because Israel is not great as they understand it. Israel is not. Israel is oppressed. Israel used to have a place in the world. And what they have done is they have tied their trust and they have tied their allegiance to a violent revolution, a way of taking things back. They have left behind trusting in God. They have left behind meeting with God. And so what happens? The temple is not regarded as a house of prayer. The temple is no longer regarded as a place to meet with God or meet with the divine. It's become an institution of power. And they want the power. And now they stood on the violent longings of finding their way back to that place of power. This is what's going on. And Jesus has been preaching over and over again. Listen, the way of the kingdom of God is not through exercising power over others. What they have done, the Jewish people, they have forfeited the mandate. They have not risen up to the mandate to be salt and light in the earth. We talk about this, but what is it to be salt and what is it to be light? It's that people would be drawn to them and when they see the people of Israel, that they would see the love and the mercy and the grace and the kindness of the divine creator, God himself. But they weren't interested in this anymore because it hadn't worked. It seemed backwards and so they had, taken, they had gone away from there. So this wasn't so much about the people buying and the people selling. This was a statement on the temple itself. The temple itself and what it had come to represent in that day and in that time. The temple is not fulfilling its purpose. It has come to symbolize injustice characterized by the society inside and out and the rejection of the people to be the people of God. And so what is his protest? Here's what Jesus does. He stops the sacrificial system because when he flips the tables, the money changers, the money goes everywhere. The doves go everywhere. The goats are like, arr, arr, and they're going everywhere. Everything's a mess. And for a moment in time, 
for a moment in time, if people can't change money, if they can't buy doves, if even it's for a short time, then what else could they not do? They could not make sacrifices. They could not offer their sacrifices. And if they can't offer their sacrifices, then the, the temple's whole reason for existing is called into question. And this is what Jesus is after. And then Matthew makes sure that we understand. What does he say? After Jesus flips the tables, and then the lame and the blind come to Jesus, and they are healed. My house is a place where everyone is welcome, regardless of their state, regardless of their inadequacies, regardless of the stuff they've done or have left undone, regardless of their condition, regardless of their addiction. There's, there's, there's no, we're not drawing lines. Oh yeah, you get in and, and you don't. and you, you do and you don't. No, they're, the lines are being erased. Those have been, who have been scorned can be healed. Those who have been kept out are welcome here because that's what the house is about. And then Jesus heads out of Jerusalem. After he does this, he makes a bunch of people mad, by the way. He heads out of Jerusalem. And the next morning he goes to, and, and sleeps in Bethany. And the next morning he gets up and he's walking with his disciples. They're going back to Jerusalem. It's not a far walk, but it says that Jesus is hungry. And he sees a fig tree and it's filled with leaves. And he thinks, well, it's filled with leaves. It's supposed to be fruit on a fig tree filled with leaves. And he walks up to the fig tree to grab some figs. And there are no figs. And so Jesus says, ha, there's no figs. Fig tree, you will never bear fruit again. Cursed are you. And it says it withered and died. And Peter looks at Bar Bartholomew and he's like, did you, what the fig tree? Did you see that? Like, what in the world? Why? What did this fig tree do to Jesus? It's just, a, it's just hanging out there. The fig tree isn't really the thing. All, all the fig tree is doing is pointing back to what he did in the temple. That's all that's going on here. He's just, Jesus is very good at making the same point over and over and over and over and over again in different ways. That's why he was such a good preacher. He said the same thing all the time, just in different ways. But see, what's happening here is Jesus came looking for fruit. He comes to the fig tree and he's looking for fruit. Because what do fig trees do? Fig trees bear figs. And when he comes to the fig tree, that at this point should have been bearing figs, there's no fruit. And so he says, okay, fig tree, basically. We're moving on from you. It's the same thing he's doing at the temple. He says to the temple, this, you were supposed to be people, my people, you're supposed to be bearing fruit. You're supposed to be salt and light. 
You're supposed to be love and mercy. You're supposed to be grace and kindness. You're supposed to be goodness and generosity. You're supposed to be the people that don't keep people out, but say, look, our God is good, and he's big, and he's beautiful, and you can be a part of this. Like, come on, come check this out. But you're not doing that. Instead, you're so consumed with finding your position of power. You're so consumed with with holding on to your hoity-toity high place. And you're not embracing others. You're not welcoming others. You're not doing it anymore. So you know what? The system is broken and we're leaving it behind. The temple, it's broken. And Jesus says, and we don't need it anymore. You don't have to go to the temple anymore to meet with God. Jesus says. Because God's bringing this thing like full blown. And anybody can be a part of this. Now here's the thing. For you and for me. For anyone who follows after Jesus. This is so very important. But Jesus would say today, make sure as those who are are working their way, this pathway of the kingdom. Make sure that you don't lose sight of what's happening like Israel did. Make sure you don't lose sight of being salt and light. Make sure you don't be, you lose sight of growing, in love, of growing in love and kindness and beauty and generosity and forgiveness. Make sure you don't lose sight of not allowing or of allowing other people to participate. It's called good news. I don't want you to just talk about it, but I want you to be it. And your fight is not a fight with fists and swords and spears and guns. Your fight is a fight of learning how to say no to those things, to come under other people, to extend love and forgiveness and mercy and kindness. Because the other system Jesus has closed down. You see, this is what's taking place in the temple. This is what, and people often wonder, what exactly got Jesus killed this is the moment this is the moment when the religious leaders said oh forget it this guy's got to die because he was literally combating the institutional religion of the day and sometimes i really do wonder if jesus was walking the planet right now how would, he, how would he interact with and engage the church today? Has the church itself, I'm talking about the larger church, has the church allowed itself to be corrupted? Has the church allowed itself to tie itself to the wrong things along the way? And I think in many cases, the answer is yes. Because anytime the church of Jesus Christ starts fighting for more power, Anytime the church of Jesus Christ starts alienating any people, then we're not living into the reality of the kingdom of God, just as those of the temple at the time. So for us, what does it look like? How how does this this play itself out in our lives? And, And my question for you would be, what does being salt and light really look like for you and for me together in this thing. This is a super odd action.
But if we begin to press in and think through and understand what's happening at the place, it's an incredibly powerful action. I mean, Jesus was, Jesus was going against all of the big powers of the time. And listen, let's look at how it ended. We got, I think it's fair. You know, Jesus said, don't ever, don't ever uh, 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 do anything without counting the cost. What did it cost Jesus? Hey, he got killed. It cost him. Sometimes this stuff does. It, 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 it costs. It costs people disagreeing. I mean, probably nobody, you're probably not going to get killed. Uh, you might get, like, shamed on Facebook. But you can delete that. But I love this because I think this gives us, this gives us a vision for what Jesus is still doing, what he's calling us to. And so I would say to us, may we be salt. May we be light. May we be love and kindness and goodness and grace. May we be filled with the spirit of the living God. And may we live that out. Amen.